think that's why we like to distract ourselves so much. I mean, in mm-hmm. a world where it's so easy to not have to look inward, where you you know you'd be crazy to sit on a park bench and not have your iPhone out. It, it's it's just never been easier to ignore that voice in your head. But it's also never been more important to actually look inward and pay attention to it. Hi there, and welcome back to Not Another Wellness Podcast. Thank you for being here. We are sharing health and wellness tips and tricks that are super digestible and easy for you to adopt into your life. This episode is with Liam McClintock. He's the founder of Fit Mind out of Denver, and he's really passionate about promoting mental wellness and maximizing cognitive performance through exercises like meditation. And he's created the Fit Mind app, which has truly changed and blown my mind, teaching me all the science-based meditation tactics and why they work. And if you're like at all a nerd, into why and how the brain works. You're going to love his app. You're going to love hearing his story and background. So welcome with me to the show, Liam McClintock. Welcome back to Not Another Wellness Podcast. Today on the episode is Liam McClendock. What's up, Liam? <laughs> hey, it's great to be here with you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for being on the show. I'm excited to um, ask you some questions about your upcoming app. Looking forward to talking about it. Cool. So, first question that I always ask everybody is, what is something that lights you up in this world? Ocean water lights me up. I love getting in the ocean, and I think I think they're... I actually just ordered a book called Blue Mind. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but it's the science of how, uh, why the ocean is healthy for us. And apparently there is some science there, but all I know is from end of one, like my own experience being in the ocean, that always really makes me happy. And you live in Colorado, so what's, how do you get your ocean fix these Yeah, days? I was just in San Diego this weekend, so I think just traveling around. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'd like to hike and then get into a body of water if there's like a lake at the top of the mountain, especially cold water, I think it's just really invigorating. Cool. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. And so tell us a little about your background. Where are you from? Yeah, I'm from Boston originally. Grew up outside of Boston uh, before that I was born in Connecticut and spent most of my life in, in those two states and then recently moved out to Colorado. Um, growing up, I was, I think, a pretty typical kid, played a lot of different sports. Um, the sport I focused on though was kind of atypical. It's called squash. Oh it's yeah. Less known, less well known um, out here in, in the Midwest, but it's a racket sport, and that was what I ended up specializing in, and uh, became my whole life for a while. I was traveling around playing squash tournaments. So you grew up on the East Coast, obviously a huge fan of like getting outside, played sports growing up. Um, what else is going on? Tell us, uh, I know I read a little about your bio, so I'm digging, but what else were you like as a, as a kid? Um, I was pretty, pretty type A, um, pretty into self-improvement. I think that would be like a general claim is like, I've always been, been into, uh, trying to kind of optimize my experience of the world and get new experiences, kind of an experienced junkie, I guess you could say. 
like to travel. Yeah. Yeah. So flash forward to now, you have started a business and have an app that's coming out like next week. Mm -hmm. Um, What is the problem you're trying to solve with FitMind? And how did you decide to like move in that direction? Mm. I also, so sorry, I just realized what you were digging for. (laughs) And this relates to why I started FitMind, which is um, when I was younger, I I, um, had ADHD and OCD. Um, So I was first diagnosed with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder when I was about 10 years old. And then I was diagnosed with uh, ADHD when I was 15 or 16. And so the OCD meant I had to touch every corner of my room in a certain order before going to bed. Uh, And that would be like a two-hour process. And I would eventually, you know, hit the pillow exhausted and just kind of collapsed by basically my own mind telling me I had to do things and feeling like I had to, I called it my icky feeling. And I felt like I had to do everything that it told me to do. Um, And then the ADHD was just an inability to pay attention for longer than a couple seconds. And I think that was more a result of getting all sorts of technology in my life because uh, I don't think it was a coincidence that I, the same year I got a MacBook and an iPhone and was kind of free of parental control of those devices is when I was diagnosed. Um, so anyways, I can talk more about that maybe later, just the idea that I think ADHD is not entirely a genetic uh, I mean, you can be genetically predisposed to it, but a lot of it is the, res- the result of how we're applying our minds. Sure. Um, but that, so I didn't really feel like I had control over my mind until I discovered meditation uh, in college. I was taking a lot of psychology classes and I just kind of stumbled upon uh, meditation. I think I'd heard from Tim Ferriss that 80 to 90% of the most successful people on his podcast that he was interviewing had a regular meditation uh, practice. And I was like, oh, I, I want to be successful too. And so it started as a productivity tool. And then as I got deeper into it, I realized there were all these benefits coming from it that were much deeper than kind of the surface level reasons that are initially presented, um, such as, you know, it's it's a quick fix stress reduction tool. Often that's like the main, one of the main benefits that yeah. I touted. Um, but I discovered that there's so much more there. And so with FitMind, I, I wanted to try to bring that kind of more a deeper, more kind of secular and scientific approach to meditation to a wider audience. What was your first meditation experience like? Do you remember the first couple times you like sat still? Yeah, it was, I mean, sitting still was out of the question when I was much younger. So the first time I sat still, it just shocked me how restless my mind was. I mean, that's one of the first things you notice when you first sit down and meditate is that there's this voice in your head that's rattling around. They call it the monkey mind mm-hmm. that won't sit still. It's, you know, swinging from thought to thought. <clears throat> and it actually, initially when you start meditating, the volume gets turned up on that voice. So you don't realize how out of control your mind truly is until you sit down and observe it. And then when you sit down and you see that, that you're basically as insane as the... Uh, homeless person who's talking to himself on the street. I mean, the only difference is it's happening in your head and yeah. you, you have the kind of social conscious not to say speak it out loud, but you've still got this often very negative voice in your head. And so the first step of meditation was as it is for, I think all people was coming to terms with the voice in my head. Yeah. And hearing it, I think it's so easy to like experience that and be like, Oh God, I never want to, f- I don't want to hear that. Like, I don't want to feel that. 
just think that like it's it's wrong or that you're different or that like it's only you that has that have a hard time sitting but it's actually like everyone yeah and I think that's why we like to distract ourselves so much I mean in a mm-hmm. world where it's so easy to not have to look inward where you you know you'd be crazy to sit on a park bench and not have your iPhone out it's it's just never been easier to ignore that voice in your head but it's also never been more important to actually look inward and pay attention to it totally and I love like how we are now using technology so like our phone will be like the number one most distracting thing but we have a meditation app on it or we have like a notes or we can just like Mm. get thoughts out or we can use it to like block our screen time like there are it is cool that we're like seeing that start to come into play where we're using the same thing that distracts us to also help us yeah, well, it's, it's it's such a powerful tool if we know how to use it. It's like we're living in this, and that's why I think it's so important that we all learn how to control our minds because, well, first it's just understanding what we're up against. I mean, all of our primal desires are being hacked. Part of that's just the, you know, it's capitalism. I mean, you can profit off of if knowing someone's psychological triggers. But as a result, it's never been more important to be able to direct your own attention where you want it to go and not where some company wants it to go. Um, but if you can have that <clears throat> kind of superpower to control your attention and put it where you want it to and apply it, the whole world's knowledge is at your fingertips on the internet. It's just like, do you have the discipline to use it for what you want to use it for instead of getting used as a tool in someone else's, uh, you know, uh, toolbox? Like algorithm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point. There are people like masterminds, like working to get us addicted to our phones and like, habits where we're like watching this or going to the same sites or I never really thought about that way um yeah the, and so the I mean the social media guys uh you know Sean Parker who was instrumental in founding Facebook has come out saying what a monster he created and some of the other guys who designed that system was well, so Sean Parker for example said you know this I'm, I'm telling you what went on in, in Facebook when we were designing this product we thought about it as the same as a slot machine thinks about uh, thinks about their uh, goals in, in Las Vegas. It's how do you get someone? How do you give someone an intermittent reward? Because you get dopamine every time mm. you see that that kind of notification. That light like up. like or. And how do we deliver that in such a way? Uh, for example, when you post a, a profile photo, all the likes don't come at once. They kind of trickle them in because they want to keep you coming back to their platform. Now, so they're incentivized wow. because they, they want you to spend as much time and attention on their platform as possible. I mean, they're playing in the attention economy, and any company that's playing in the attention economy probably doesn't have good motives because they want to capture. I mean, they want they want to hold your attention hostage. Apple, on the other hand, I think is actually well aligned with the consumer because mm-hmm. Apple doesn't make more money if you spend more more time on their iPhone necessarily. Now, maybe if you spend more time in their games, because they're taking like 30% revenue from that, but they're more aligned with the consumer, which I think is why they have these tools now where they have like screen time. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, so I think they're on our side more so than... That would be great (laughs) if somebody could be on our side. Jeez. Yeah. That's an interesting point. I'm glad we talked about that. Um, What, how do you balance like your social media use, like knowing all of this? Like what does that look like for you? Yeah, I think social media, again, can be a great tool, but it's all about deliberate use. Mm-hmm. So just recognizing, being aware, am I using this, uh, you know, how I want to be using it? Am I seeing what I want to see? Uh, I use it primarily as a tool to keep in touch. 
Mm -hmm. um, with people who I wouldn't otherwise be able to keep in touch with. But I try to really be deliberate about use. So maybe it's, you know, once a week, um, I kind of stopped using Instagram. Uh, I have like a a team that will occasionally post like a a photo um, for my business. But um, uh, I think think it's really harmful and, and probably ways that we wouldn't have time to fully go into here, but just to name a couple, I mean, I think it creates the perception that you have to constantly be comparing yourself to other people. I mean, it's, it's affecting your whole perception of reality in a lot of subconscious ways. So like whatever you're consuming on that platform is shaping how you view, view reality. And if you're viewing only the highlights from other people, I mean, there's been studies where they show that this, this actually makes people more anxious and depressed. Uh, so even if we think it's we want to be on there, this is another example of kind of a primal hack where the primal part of our brain uh, thinks you know is getting rewarded for the kind of social connection, um, but the the subconscious um, kind of message that we're getting is that we need to be accepted by this tribe, but that the tribe is much happier than us and much more connected than us, and so I think it's really dangerous. Uh, so yeah, deliberate use being important. Totally. And I think what's hard to, for me personally, like I have a personal Instagram that doesn't have any purpose. And then I have a pod, the podcast Instagram mm-hmm. that I feel that pressure in like a different way. And I know that people struggle with that if they're trying to like have a business, like get it off the ground and to not have a Facebook page attached to it or to not have an Instagram account. It almost feels like you have to. Mm-hmm. And that I think gets tricky. Like for me, I know it does. Like I have often deactivated my personal account, but I can easily access everything from my podcast account that I want to keep open because I get feedback on it or like it's fun. But at the same time, it's like this black hole and it's really hard to have to feel like you have to have it. And I know you don't, but I know that's like a common thing that I've heard people talk about. I deal with the same issue with my business. It's, I feel like it's something I have to have that said, I don't think that the, I don't think um, like ads, for example, do as well on there as people think. Um, like the ROI is pretty, the return on investment is uh, is is not as good as the, and it's getting worse as as more people are trying to advertise, and the connections often aren't genuine. Um, I think uh, that's what what social media is lacking is sustenance. Often, you know, it's like you can. Um, uh, if that's the only way you're connecting with with your customers or for, as a company or with your friends as a person, it's lacking that same psychological sustenance of a really kind of genuine in-person, uh, interpersonal connection. Totally. Um, I'm glad we're talking about this. And that's the exact reason why like I wanted to do this person in-person interview as mm-hmm. opposed to, like, I think technology is great. Like, it's so easy to connect with people, but there's, like, nothing like actually sitting in a room with another human. Yeah. It's just different. Like, you're, like... Yeah. So you can see their social cues or like what they're saying or their mannerisms. And that is, it is so sad to see that being like such a yeah. challenge just with the way our lives are structured these days. Yeah. There, there was a study showing that only 7% of our communication is verbal. So a text message is only, you know, that's this, that, I guess that would count as, as verbal in that case. That is, you're only 7%. Uh, uh, of what a person would normally be able to pick up in terms of intonation, visual mm. cues, um, even subconscious things that we're not aware of, facial expressions, all of that is lost. And so that is also causing anxiety. I mean, you can just, I think everyone's experienced that time where you, 
you know, someone takes a little too long to text you back and mm-hmm. you suddenly make up all these stories in your head about what they're actually thinking. None of that was an issue for our ancestors. Uh, so it's all very new for our brains. Yeah, man, I could talk about this forever. But so you mentioned like your story and journey to finding meditation. Um, what, going back to that and talking about the brain, like mm-hmm. what have you learned through your research that happens when we do like sit with ourselves and observe the plots? Because I know that's like something people don't realize. I've heard so many people say to me like, I can't do it. I can't sit, th- I can't sit so I tried, you know, and like, so, so talk us through the whole, the whole thing. Take that wherever you want to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's really helpful to understand the mechanisms that are occurring in meditation. I, I like to say that trying to meditate without knowing what's happening in your mind, um, without knowing how the mind's being trained is like trying to learn the piano without knowing how to read music. And it also helps to commit to a practice understanding the mechanisms. So mm-hmm. the main mechanism is called uh, neuroplasticity, the idea that the brain can change shape and function depending on how you apply it. And this is actually a relatively recent finding in neuroscience. It's only the last 15 years or so that there's been a lot of study on it. Uh, they actually, you know, before that, they neuroscientists thought that the brain was pretty static and it only started to decay um, after a certain age, kind of mid-20s. Now, now they find that the brain continues to grow and it continues to actually um, add about 10,000 new neurons a day. Um, so it's like, do you want those to be helpful neurons? Or, you know, it, it becomes so important what kind of neurons we're adding. And so you can train the brain just like a muscle. That's what meditation is. Now there's two types of uh, meditation's umbrella term, like exercise. And just as there's swimming and running and, uh, you know, baseball, different sports and activities, uh, there's over 800 types of meditation. And each one trains the brain in a slightly different way. You know, a lot of them can be lumped into categories um, around the mechanisms that are occurring as you meditate. Um, The one that's really popular in in the West now is mindfulness meditation, uh, which is taken from an ancient practice called Vipassana or uh, insight meditation, which is, uh, comes from the Buddhist pr- tradition. And that's the one that's often um, taught on like apps and, and uh, just commonly taught in the West. And so I think the reason a lot of people, to address kind of the second part of your question, the reason a lot of people get frustrated when they start to meditate is that they sit down and there are a lot of misconceptions. So they think that meditation is quieting the mind or meditation means... Um, Yes, sitting still and and somehow eliminating thoughts Mm -hmm. and... And being good at that, like, right away. And as if that was possible. (laughs) And what it is actually is that, I'll give an analogy. So imagine that for your entire life, you had been standing under a waterfall getting pummeled by thoughts. And now you had the power for the first time in your life, you realize that you didn't have to stand under the waterfall. And now standing under the waterfall could be nice sometimes if those are positive thoughts or but, like inspirational ones or whatever, yeah. Yeah, but um, there was a Harvard study showing that we spend um, about 60% of our day lost in thoughts. So you are standing under the waterfall for 60% of your day. Um, and that a lot of those thoughts are negative. Um, this is just one study, but I think it found that 70% were, were uh, unpleasant thoughts. And so that's a pretty miserable existence. But now what meditation gives you the ability to do is step back under the waterfall and observe those thoughts, and it doesn't matter if they're positive or negative, and they're going to keep coming. Um, there's, there's more kind of advanced 
uh, stages of meditation where the, the waterfall might cease altogether. But, um, but even for a beginner, learning to step back under the waterfall and just observe it. And what you find is that it's no longer battering you. So it can be negative thoughts, but you realize that you, whoever's watching the thoughts, if you can watch those thoughts, just as if I can, you know, look at that, uh, look at that chair right there. I know I'm not that chair. I'm not identified with it anymore. Mm-hmm. If I can watch my thoughts without becoming them, um, th- then they, they lose a lot of power over me. And I think that's something that I don't know why we're not taught it in school. You are not your thoughts. And I think we spend most of our lives thinking we are our thoughts. Uh, but it's, it's a superpower. And that's kind of the first um, realization I think that's really freeing and goes against that misconception of um, not, not being able to quiet the mind, which isn't necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that image. I just like, I almost picture like a, a cartoon or something where you've like seen that image of they're standing behind the waterfall and they're like not getting wet at all. But yeah, that's still happening and that will always happen. And that you're not, there's nothing wrong with you for having negative thoughts. Like that's a huge thing. Um, So you began meditating. Um, How did you get to learn this much about it? So what was the steps that like led you to now starting your own meditation app? Yeah, so I started out just doing it as a hobby. I started with the apps and then I went, I was in Massachusetts, so I had some great centers out there, the Insight Meditation Center and Kripalu in Western Massachusetts. So I, I went to those and then I realized I wanted to take my practice deeper. So I went to, when I left my, I was working in finance at the time um, in Boston and I left that job and went to Bali for a month to get certified as a meditation instructor. And that involves some kind of silent, you know, it was, it was a pretty intense program. Uh, it was like 300 hours of meditation. And then after that, I went up into the mountains in Bali and meditated with some, like a Buddhist monks. I, I did a Vipassana, which is a, a silent retreat um, with, uh, w- with like an intense community up there. And then I came back and, and since then I've just kind of read everything I could get my hands on and... I think the book that first really got me into a deep practice is called The Mind Illuminated hmm. by Chula Dasa. Um, the reason I trust, I, I tend to trust meditation instructors who are scientists also. Mm-hmm. So Chula Dasa is also a, uh, has a PhD in neuroscience. And so the way that he explains how you're training your mind systematically and scientifically, and he does use a lot of kind of Sanskrit terms too, but he puts it into Western uh, language and and science. And I think that's important because as soon as you enter the meditation world, you realize that there's a lot of stuff out there that uh, comes from a very kind of woo-woo framework, which isn't to say it's not effective. It's just their their explanation of why it works is not scientific. Yeah, not right. Not as easy to like understand. Yeah. So it might work for some people who are not needing, I don't know, that like proof I guess um <laughs> okay <laughs> I was like perfect yeah, yeah that's interesting yeah, yeah I was really drawn to the science yeah cool that makes sense um so what are some of the biggest things people realize or the biggest benefits that come from being able to step back away from the waterfall like day-to-day life yeah, I just think it's such a superpower to, for the first time, not be a direct victim of your thoughts. 
so much of the kind of self-help movement has focused around positivity and kind of rah-rah positive thoughts, implant positive thoughts. I think, you know, and there is a, there are meditations that do focus on kind of changing the thought, thought patterns, but, um, that what gets lost is that, you know, it, it can feel ingenuine. It's like, and then some, some, suddenly, as you were saying, someone feels like there's something wrong with them if they're only, ha- if they have negative thoughts and it's actually perfectly normal to have negative thoughts, but learning to not identify with them is so key. Yeah. And, and that's just one benefit of meditation. I mean, I could go on and on. Um, I think that's just kind of scratching the surface, but I think that's the, f- that's a really primary reason to meditate. Mm-hmm. Um, it also brings you into the present moment. Because as soon as you're observing your thoughts and not identify with them, instead of being, I, I call it your virtual simulator. It's the part of our brain in our more recently evolved uh, neocortex, a prefrontal cortex that uh, projects into the future and replays the past. And most emotions associated with the future and past are negative. So if you kind of list off all the emotions, um, you know, anxiety, um, fear, um, despair, regret. Um, now there are some positive ones too, hope and nostalgia, but most of the emotions, if you list them off, the negative ones are associated with the future and past. The present is a good, pretty good place to be. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what, that's what that can allow you to do too. Just observing thoughts. That's amazing. So you, okay. Like started meditating, felt it improve your lifestyle and just like get you out of your head if you will. Is that fair to put it that way? I don't know if that's the right way to put it. And then you decided to go to Bali to like really like dig in, get certified. Um, Did you start teaching at that point at all or like kind of spreading the word? Like what did that look like? Um, And when was that in relation to now? Yeah, I, well, I did my teacher training. So, you know, the purpose I knew I wanted to teach, um, wanted to bring it into the workplace where I felt like I'd been in the, the corporate world, so, you know, I'd been in finance, so I felt like I could communicate it better to folks who might be skeptical initially. So I, I started FitMind, um, maybe, th- uh, yeah, it was around November of last year. Okay. Um, and I started going into companies and giving workshops and, uh, and, and then, I started uh, working with other organizations too, um, like government organizations and nonprofits. And actually my most, I feel the work that I've enjoyed the most is at a rehab center here in Denver called Continuum Recovery. And so I work with uh, recovering, mostly recovering alcoholics and just hearing their stories and how I've seen meditation help them has been really inspiring. So do you go in and and meditate or do you kind of, explain why meditation is a thing and and then do they practice it on their own or a little bit of everything yeah I try to give them a new technique every time I come in and then kind of an explanation of why that's effective and I say here's a another tool you can use um, if it works for you and a lot of times the next time I come in you know I'll get one or two people saying you know I used that the other week and it was really effective I'm gonna keep doing that um but different techniques resonate with people differently. So um, I, th- I think it's important that also people understand that mindfulness meditation is one of you know, one 800. Version. Yeah, you said yeah. 800. And yeah. my mind was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite meditation style like right now? 
Yeah. So, so what I've been teaching and, um, you mentioned the app. I mean, this is what I teach on the app is like a progression. Um, and I think they're all important for their own reasons, but the way I think about it is going from focused, um, going along the spectrum of awareness. So at the far, if you try to visualize at the far left of the spectrum of awareness, you have focused attention. And then, um, as you progress to the right, you get, um, you get flexible awareness and then open awareness and then what's called natural awareness or awareness of awareness. And now that that might sound kind of like jargon, but basically, um, Focused attention, you can think of... Now, actually, if you're looking out a window right now and you're listening to this, you can try this out for yourself. So, focused attention would be you're looking out the window and you see a car uh, driving and you follow that car the whole the whole way. Um, well, I'm sorry, because the car's going to leave your field of vision. So, so, pick something that's stable in your vision. Let's say a lamppost and just stare at the lamppost. That's focused attention. You're learning to sharpen your attention, be able to pay attention to the lamppost without, um, without getting distracted by a car. Flexible awareness means you're looking out the window and uh, you follow a car until it's out of your path. And then you say you pick another car and you follow that car until it's out of your path. Um, you pick another object. So you're still directing your attention in a certain way, but it's a little more flexible. <clears throat> Open awareness means you're just staring out the window and taking it all in. <clears throat> um, you know, you're aware of the cars when they're going by, you're aware of the lamppost that's there, you're aware of the street signs, and you're just aware of all of it, and you're, you're, um, you're aware of whatever's popping into your attention, but you're not trying to control your attention. Now, natural awareness, or awareness of awareness, is uh, you're aware of the fact that you're looking out the window. <laughs> now, so and being, yeah. Okay. You're aware of your own awareness. Sure. Um, which is like that split second. Like if I ask you right now, are you aware? And you say, yeah, well, it's that split second where you looked and you made like, sure you I were aware. aware? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, okay. or it's like, okay, look at the window and I'll close your eyes and you can tell that there's that same awareness didn't go anywhere. Um, and so that, that's like a little more advanced, but anyway, the, the stuff I've been getting into more recently is like going along that spectrum. And after you've trained your focused attention, it's much mm -hmm. easier to stay in a place of natural awareness that last step, uh, which is a really pleasant place to be. Mm. Oh my gosh, that sounds lovely. <laughs> and it builds up on itself. So you're not telling people to just like, go be aware that you're aware. And they're like, what the hell are you yeah. talking about? Yeah, wow, that's really cool. Um, it's cool to like, I love the idea of corporate wellness. Like, yeah. Mm. Workplaces are so stressful and they can be so negative. And it's, mm. I even find myself getting carried away with that sometimes. Um, and yeah, I think people really need it in the in that setting, in every setting, but um, I could definitely see why that would be beneficial. So what can we expect from this app, and when is it coming out, yes. all those things? So I've been teaching this program in, in companies mostly. Um, I've worked with a lot of great companies here in Denver. I worked with Amazon and Uber, and, I feel, and it's been received well. And so what I realized is, though, what's been really... Uh, uh, kind of hard is that like, I feel like I leave them with, um, something that they might want to do, but then I leave them hanging cause there's no like other resource, I guess. Yeah. There's no other resource. And, and whenever they, and I get asked all the time, what app should, should I do use? Yeah. And to be honest, um, I think there's some great apps out there, but I, there isn't one that I would highly recommend right now. Hmm. Um, and, and I, and I say that, uh, not as kind of just like a self-promotional thing, but that's actually why I felt inspired to build an app is I wanted to build what I would have wanted 
when I first started meditating. Um, and it's something that explains more about why you're doing mm-hmm. each technique, about how it's performed, about kind of the psychology behind how the mind's being trained, the mental mechanics, if you will. And so that's what this is. It's a course, um, there's a 30 day foundational course, and then I keep adding new content, new meditations, but the 30 day foundational course takes you along that spectrum of awareness I mentioned, and it teaches, uh, you know, over 20 different types of meditation techniques, um, starting with ones that are a little more easy to grasp and then getting more and more progressively advanced. And the trainings I call them, which are guided meditations are paired with lessons the lessons explain the psychology behind uh, each training and how to bring it into everyday life. That, and that's the other component that I think is kind of missing from the soul meditation conversations. It's not just about your time on the cushion. Mm. Time on it's the cushion life. is like your, exactly. Yeah. Well, mm. it's your life. So, yeah. you know, if, if you think about the 10 minutes on your, on your cushion, on your chair as the, the training um, for the game, the game is, it's your life. And it's how do you bring that same mindset into your life? And yeah, it'll, it'll make very subtle changes if you're not thinking about bringing it into your life on its own, but it'll, you'll progress even quicker if you can bring that into your daily life. So another thing the app does is it sends out a daily challenge every morning that relates to the um, lesson and training that you just completed. And so let's say that you've just done a, um, a meditation technique called RAIN, Recognize, Accept, Investigate, Non-Reactivity. It's where you learn to observe negative emotions in your body as sensations without reacting to them, then the daily challenge might say, today when you experience um, a strong emotion, instead of uh, reacting right away to it, just observe it as physical sensations in your body. Just a simple task for that day to try to bring the practice into um, into daily application. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's just a fit mind, one word, F-I-T-M-I-N-D in the Apple App Store. It's not on Android yet, um, and uh, yeah, it'll be it'll the first week free, and then uh, five dollars a month after that. Cool, that's so super affordable. Yeah. So, and then FitMind, are you still going to be doing the corporate wellness type of situation, or are you still going to be doing that on the side, or like to supplement the app, or what are your plans for the future? Yeah, I love doing the workshops, and I've liked working with companies. Um, like I said, I really liked working with the rehab center, so I want to do more of that and just other organizations. I'm also really passionate about working with kids. I've been into a couple of schools, and I feel like our, the younger generation is what needs us more than ever. I mean, they're just like they—they they grew up with like they had no, uh, they didn't have to learn cursive, and uh, I, I think they could be a lost generation if they don't really know how to learn how to control their minds and, and deliberately use technology. Um, I just think that, that, uh, you know, the, and, and the mental health t- statistics are stark. So I'd love to bring this to a younger audience. Totally. Cool. Um, and like my last question for you is kind of what is your day to day look like with your own meditation practice? And I'm, I'm curious, I'm sure other people are. Yeah, I do first thing in the morning and last thing at night. Um, I was doing uh, two hours a day pretty consistently up until the last uh, last couple of weeks with the app launch. It's gotten crazy. So I just tell myself I need to sit down first thing in the morning, you know, at least 15 minutes, and at night at least 15 minutes. If I go longer, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I look forward to getting back to a, 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 that other practice because I was feeling I could feel the difference. I mm-hmm. felt really good. 
but I don't want to discourage anyone that like you, you can literally get benefits from like five minutes of this stuff a day. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling you, if, if I can learn to meditate, like, cause I was this bouncy ADHD kid, um, then I think anyone, uh, it's just a matter of rewiring your brain and then it starts to love it and crave it. Yeah. And make you feel better and be like, what a gift it would be to feel an emotion that's really strong and powerful, but not let it just like destroy your day, right, you know, right. or like take over your life. Yeah. It doesn't have to. Yeah. 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 And it's not to say that, I mean, I still, all the time I get negative emotions that, that cause suffering. Um, you know, and, and that's the constant that, you know, that, that's why it's worth continuing to try to progress. But the half-life has gotten shorter mm. of those emotions. So whereas before maybe a, an, an angry, uh, emotion might've ruined three hours of my day. Now it's more like 15 minutes. So if you think about now I just got two and a half hours back. Um, totally. Any like last like tips for people that are like, I'm so skeptical. What do you say to them? <laughs> <laughs> Well, read, read the research. So what got yeah. me really excited was the neuroplasticity research. If you look at experienced meditators, they've had, they have lasting trait. Uh, so not just an altered state where you're in a temporary kind of blissed out state, but altered traits where the brain has changed shape and function. So like the amygdala, the fear center of the brain has uh, shrunk in experienced meditators, the left prefrontal cortex um, uh, is enlarged compared to the right prefrontal cortex, showing that the brain's gotten better at kind of uh, subduing negative emotions. And the hippocampus is enlarged, the area responsible for memory. So this, those changes do take time. And there was one, there was one crazy article about uh, this guy named Mathieu Ricard, who's a French uh, PhD geneticist turned monk. They call him the happiest man in the world because of some of these brain changes. So I think that stuff to me kind of, uh, discards any skepticism as far as the potential benefits there. But the other thing I say, just try for yourself. If you meditate for a week, you will start to, if you notice closely and have some introspection, you start to see really important changes in small areas of your life. Uh, so give it a genuine shot and don't be discouraged if it, mm. if you th- think it's not working at first, cause it, it probably is as long as you're putting in the effort and, uh, uh, and then you'll become, before you know it, you become a prophetizer like me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's awesome. This is exciting. Um, it's so clear that like you are so passionate about this and are bringing this to the world in so many different ways. And like I'm excited to see what happens. So thanks for taking the time to like share, you know, your your story and why this is so important to you with with us. It was super interesting. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It's been an, an honor, and I. Yeah, I could talk about this stuff all day. So yeah. Please. <laughs> yeah.